Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Good morning, everyone. Thankful for everyone joining us on Facebook Live. Glad that you've chosen to spend this first Sunday of May with us. Communion Sunday, if you don't have your elements together, you still have time to gather them up as we'll be taking communion at the end of the service. But today I just wanted to let you know I'm thankful that God loves us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He is jealous for me, love like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us oh. Oh, how He loves us, how He loves us, oh. He is jealous for me, love like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden i am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and i realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us oh oh how he loves us how he loves us oh how he loves and we are his portion he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all sinking so heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss and my heart it turns violently inside of my chest and i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about 
the way he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Hallelujah. God bless you all this morning. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Darrell. That was really good. How he loves us. We can't imagine how much God loves us. Thank you for joining us again this morning. Coming to you, of course, from the empty sanctuary of Faith Fellowship Church. And hopefully it won't be empty too much longer. We're looking forward to reopening and having sanctuary services in here. It looks like it's going to be the 23rd of May where we'll have a full-blown sanctuary service. And, of course, we'll be abiding by the CDC guidelines and doing what our governor tells us to do. Before we begin this morning, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Thank you for this opportunity to share your holy written word with these people that are listening here this morning in our Facebook audience. We thank you for each and every one of them. We ask that you would touch them, heal them. Set them free, God. We thank you and praise you that your hand is upon them and upon their families, and you're watching over them and protecting them. Father, we ask that you anoint me to preach this word, the anointed word of God, with clarity, boldness, and simplicity. And we thank you and praise you that the Holy Spirit is here with us, that he will help us to understand and give us light and revelation. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles with you this morning or your Bible apparatus, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7. But we, before we get into our text, I want to uh, give you a little background to what we're about to read. In the previous chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, this is around 934 B.C., King Benadad, a heathen king ruling over the heathen nation of Syria, laid siege to Samaria which was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel under King Joram. Now, a siege is a military operation in which enemy forces surround a town or a building, cutting off essential supplies. And this would create a great famine in the city, and the city would remain like that until she has no choice but to open her gates and surrender. And the famine in Samaria was so bad and so severe that a donkey's head was selling for $80, or 80 pieces of silver. I don't know if it was $80 back then or not, but 80 pieces of silver, which was a lot of money at that time. And the funny part about it was it was selling as food. And then a pint of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. And there's a difference of opinion as to whether or not that dove's dung was a form of vegetable substance or it was actual bird poop. I'll let you decide. But here's a sad commentary. The, the famine was so severe that the mothers were eating their own children. And when King Joram learned of that, 
uh, he was so upset and it made him so mad that he blamed Elisha, the prophet of God, the man of God for that hour. And he blamed him for the, the famine and everything that Israel was going through. And he wanted to cut off Elisha's head. But King Joram was the real reason that God had allowed the siege. He led the nation of Israel into idolatry and lewdness. And God wasn't very happy about it. And so he lifted his hand of protection off of Israel and allowed the, uh, Israel's enemies to seize the city. All Elisha did was tell the king the truth. And you know, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. I don't want to hear the truth sometimes, but I eventually accept it because I know it's right. But especially when it points a finger at them. I mean, they would rather blame someone else for their problems. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's everybody's fault but mine. And I can truly understand how Elisha felt because there were times that people wanted to cut my head off for telling the truth. But anyway, the king and his men go to get Elisha, but God told Elisha they were coming, and so he barricaded his door so they couldn't get in. And I've been there before too, but that's another story. But let's read what happens now in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, as the king is at Elisha's door. So Elisha says to the king, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, now we're talking about the besieged city that's in a severe famine, he says six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley will cost only one piece of silver. Now, don't forget, a donkey head is selling for 50 pieces of silver and bird poop for five pieces of silver. So the officer assisting the king or the king's right-hand man said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go to the Syrian camp. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. In other words, we got nothing to lose. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Syrian army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. It's amazing how fear can affect a person. I mean, you begin to hear things that aren't really there. And uh, Elisha had prophesied to the king that in just one day, 24 hours, there would be incredible plenty in the city of Samaria. He said, you'll be able to buy six quarts of fine flour or 12 quarts of barley for one piece of silver each. But how could this possibly happen? The supply chain had been broken. Don't you know there's a shortage of food in the land? And I have to be careful what I say, unless no one can figure out if I'm talking about 934 B.C. or 2020 A.D. But let me tell you something. The, 
The government couldn't fix their problem. They don't have the answer. And maybe it would be a good idea if we begin to look to God for the solution rather than to man. And Elisha, who was God's chosen man for that hour, just told everyone that there would be a total economic recovery and a revival for that nation, and it would be a land of plenty within just 24 short hours. In other words, he said, if I could build this economy once, he said, I can build this economy again. But in light of everything that was going on, it looked impossible. How? In 24 hours. But it seems that when God's chosen man for the hour has a plan and from God, whether it came from God directly to him or it came to, God through, or came to him from some of God's prophets or some godly counsel. But anyway, the man of the hour has a plan. And some believing, unbelieving doubter always pops up with some kind of negative dispersions and say that it can't be done. It sounds good, but it can't be done, especially in 24 hours. And the king's right-hand man said that it couldn't happen. He said, even if God opened the windows of heaven and poured it out, it couldn't get here by tomorrow. Church, we're telling the world that God can fix this problem, and they're telling us that he can't. That devil not only doubted the word of God spoken through the prophet, but he doubted God's ability to fix the problem or perform what he said he'd perform. And because he did, Elisha told him, oh, you're going to see it, but you're not going to be able to eat of it. You're not going to get to enjoy it. And, you know, it's a terrible feeling when you doubt God's word and then you see it come to pass in someone else's life, especially when you don't get to enjoy it when you know that you could have. And remember what I said Wednesday night. We must be fully persuaded that God is able to perform that which he said he would perform. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I don't care what the government thinks. I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what the so-called experts think. I just know what God said, and I believe him. See, you never get anything from God by doubting his word. We have to believe that his word is true. We have to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God says revival is coming. God says restoration is coming. Healing is coming. But we have unbelievers amongst us that tell us it can't happen. It ain't coming. And they're telling us it may go away for a while. But even if it does, it's coming back. Not if God fixes it, it ain't coming back. Hallelujah. And the only reason we doubt is because we're thinking carnally. We're thinking fleshly. We're thinking naturally. Stop doubting like the king's servant did. Stop trying to think of reasons why it can happen. This restoration is going to happen, and it's going to start with you. It's going to start with me. Why sit here till we die, church? I mean, this is a time for us to bring some good news to a beat-up, beat-down world. And they need to hear something positive for a change. And instead of sitting here, go out and share the good news with everyone you know. And leave the rest up to God. Don't try to figure out how God's going to do it or how quick he's going to do it or who he's going to use to do it. Just go out there and give somebody some good news. And tell them about a God that loves them and cares for them. Tell them about a God that wants to save them, heal them, and deliver them. Tell them about a God that sacrificed his only son so that we might live. Tell them that he has plans to give them hope and not to harm them. Plans to give them hope in a future. Give them some good news. But I'm telling you, if you doubt, 
You'll see this restoration take place, but you won't get to enjoy it the way that God wants you to enjoy it. But if you'll tell somebody, then they'll tell somebody, then they'll tell somebody, and that's how revival starts. That's how restoration starts. It starts with one person. It starts with you. But no man can do it by himself. No man can do everything. Uh, it takes a whole lot of us to get it done. But it's one person at a time. Just do your part. Don't worry about everybody else's part. You know, dogs bark, haters hate, and doubters doubt. And, and these doubters don't believe things could ever turn around and become normal again. They say there's going to be a new normal. And, and the devil is a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I refuse to accept a new normal, uh, you know, where we act like robots. They say we won't be able to get close anymore, touch anymore, embrace anymore. But God says in, the last, in, in Ecclesiastes 3.5, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And we're in a time of refrain right now, and I'm willing to do that for a while, but don't tell me it's the new norm. Don't tell me I can't embrace again. I refuse to accept that. Jesus told us in Mark 16, 18, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Divine impartations like healing are transferred through a touch. Under the new norm, they're telling me I can't do that. There's something special about a touch. A hug, a pat on the back, a hand on the shoulder, holding hands when we pray. People need to be touched. It's reassuring. It's comforting. It brings healing. It brings peace. It expresses love, and it tells somebody that you care. God placed within every one of us the ability to send and receive emotional signals through touch. By touching, we can impart distinct emotions like love and gratitude and sympathy and happiness and comfort and peace. The new norm tells us we can't do this anymore. Like I said, I'll accept it for the time being, but I'm not accepting it as the new norm. And when I have to choose between what God says and what man says, the Bible tells me plainly, let God be true and every man a liar. We ought to obey God rather than man. But let's get back to our story before I get in trouble. If I ain't already. Have they cut us yet, Brother Darrell? <laughs> Well, Israel was in a dire situation, and if God was going to do something overnight, it was going to take a miracle. But thank God he's still in the miracle-working business. Thank God that God can still perform a miracle. And they're wondering, how on earth can we possibly recover from this famine in such a short time? I mean, 24 hours? Do you see how long it took us to get to this place, that this severe famine we're in? And you're saying it can be fixed in 24 hours? Yeah, God said it can. And, and you'd be surprised how fast God can change a situation around. And, and, and I don't care how bad it is. God can change it overnight. And besides, how, how he does it is not our problem. That's where we get in trouble. We try to figure out God with our little peanut brains, but his thoughts are way higher than our thoughts. His ways are way higher than our ways. We bounce a problem around in our big empty heads and come to the conclusion that the odds are too great. It can't be done in 24 hours. Even if God opened the windows of heaven, they couldn't get here in 24 hours. There's no possible way that this could be fixed. And it might be impossible for man, but it ain't impossible for God. We're like, come on, God, have you looked down here lately? The virus, I mean, the enemy has us surrounded. We're starving down here. I had donkey head for dinner, and 
bird poop for dessert last night. Where's all this flour and barley supposed to come from? In case you haven't noticed, the farmers are plowing their produce under because they can't take it to market. The ranchers are killing their cattle because the processing plants are closed down. God, you better take another look down here. Listen, God knows what's going on down here. He knows what's going on in your life and my life. It didn't, he didn't cause this thing, but it didn't catch him by surprise either. The situation you're in isn't as unique as you think it is. It doesn't make any difference anyway because God is the answer to any solution, any, any uh, circumstance. Nothing is too hard for God. And God has been moving all through this COVID-19 pandemic, but everybody is too freaked out to notice it. We want God to do something spectacular, but God does things so subtly sometimes that if we're not watching, if we're not listening carefully, we'll miss it altogether. We want God to fix our, promise, our problems instantaneously and with little effort on our part. This is a microwave society. We want it, and we want it now. God destroyed the enemy. Lift this lockdown. I mean siege. But God doesn't always move like that. He doesn't always do things the way we think he should. Sometimes God does things in such, things in such a way that no man would be able to take the glory for it. Hallelujah. No man is going to be able to get the credit for this. Because when it's done, people are going to shake their head and say, it had to be God because there's no man could have did what he did. And God pulled that miracle off with the help of four half-starved, dying lepers. Who would have thought? I mean, but the government, I mean, the king never saw that one coming, did he? That's because he was looking to man. He was looking to the so-called experts for his answers when he should have been looking to God. Social distancing, or as they like to call it now to be proper, is physical distancing. And a vaccine isn't, one, isn't what's going to fix the king's problem. It's going to take an all, almighty God to fix this problem. And besides, if you're a child of God, you've already been vaccinated. You've already been inoculated. You have the blood of Jesus Christ running through your veins, and his antibodies are immune to every sickness and disease. See, there we're looking for a great army to come in and set them free. But God used four little old lepers that were willing to do something rather than sit there until they died. Why did he use them? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's because they're the only ones that were willing to get up and do something. They were the only ones that were willing to do something besides sit. They said, why sit we here till we die? You know, I read the entire story and no one else asked that question. Everyone else seemed to be content with just sitting. I'm not content anymore. I, I, I believe that God has caused this or allowed this whole thing to happen to cause the church to rise up Get outside of these four walls and bring the gospel to people that never heard it before. Bring the gospel to people that would normally not come to church. And now we got people hearing the gospel that never heard it before. We got people listening to me and listening to other preachers where they would have never listened to anybody else. Don't tell me God's not at work in this thing. He is. Hallelujah. The lepers were just tired of sitting and doing nothing. Why sit we here till we die, they said. And that's a good question to ask. I'm beginning to ask myself that question. You know, if we sit here, it's going to eventually kill us or drive us crazy one. Uh, so we might as well face the enemy. We have nothing to lose at this point. You know, sometimes God has to let uh, people get desperate enough before they'll get up and do anything. And, and they said, let's go to the enemy's camp. 
They have all the supplies that we need. Now, don't forget, every, every supply, every produce, every cattle, livestock that came to Samaria didn't get in. The enemy took it and kept it for themselves. This camp was rich with Samaria's supplies. Uh, they have food and water. They'll either feed us and let us live or they're going to kill us. But what's the difference? We're going to die anyway. So why sit here till we die? Let's do something. So down the mountain towards the enemy's camp, these desperate but brave little lepers went. As they were going down, they must have stirred up some loose stones. And when those stones started rolling down the hill uh, towards the enemy's camp, God took the sound of those stones and magnified them a thousand times and rearranged them so that they would sound like speeding horses and chariots and a great army approaching the camp. And, you know, God doesn't need much to work with, but he needs something. A lot of people are, are in lack, and a lot of people are in need of certain things. And I'll say this, sow a seed. Give God something to work with. He didn't say the seed had to be big. He said, sow a seed so I could have something to work with. Yeah. Buy some old couple at the grocery store their groceries. Pay for somebody to get a tank of gas. Help somebody. Sow a seed. Give me something to work with. And if you do, God can do miracles. God can do wondrous things. But we got to make the first move. We can't sit here till we die. We got to get up and do something good for the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, God doesn't need much to work with, like I said. But he does need something. We sit around all the time trying to figure out how something is going to happen. And because we don't see a way, we talk ourselves out of doing anything. I, you know, I'm not picking on nobody. I've done the same thing myself. I look at a situation and say, well, what's the use? Ain't no sense in doing this. It's not going to work. Nothing's going to work. And I totally left out the God factor. But when I factor in God, then anything is possible. And so that's what we have to think like. When you can't think of a way it's going to happen, think about God because God can make it happen. Give God something to work with. Sow a seed of faith. But anyway, the sound of that army caused great fear and panic in the enemy's camp. So they take off running and they leave everything behind. If only the church would rise up like a mighty army. Hallelujah. There's no telling what we could get done. The four lepers weren't even aware of what God was doing. And I pray it hasn't come to that for the church where we can't see what God is doing in our midst. But shortly after the enemy fled, the lepers arrived at the camp. They didn't even know what happened. They didn't know what was going on. Hello, is anybody home? It's just us, the four little old lepers. You know, the ones that obeyed God and refused to sit there till we died. The ones that got up and decided to do something. Is anyone around? But no one answered. You know why? Because no one was there to answer. I'm telling you, church, we can silence the mouth of the enemy if we just rise up and do something. So they begin to look around the camp. They peeked into one of the supply tents, and it was overflowing with food. I mean, flour and wheat and barley and bacon and eggs and honey and grits, uh, barrels of water. Man, it looked like a Cracker Barrel warehouse. And then they went to the mess tent, and they found ham and eggs still sizzling on the grill, full plates of food where the soldiers jumped up and ran off and left them. So they started eating and drinking. That's what we would have did. 
And after they had their fill, they went over to another tent and they found clothes and shoes and treasures and jewelry and gold and silver. And, and now don't forget, the enemy has been taking everything that belonged to Israel for months. And man, those four lepers were partying. I'm talking about lampshades on the head and everything. They're eating and drinking, trying on clothes and jewelry, dancing around and rejoicing. And, and, and they should have went into the city, back to Samaria, and shared the good news. But they didn't. Instead, they kept it to themselves, and, and they hid the good thing that they found. They weren't sharing it. They were so preoccupied with the treasure they found that they forgot those that were on the outside of the camp. Is that what happened to the church? I mean, maybe that's why God got us out of this building for the last six, six weeks and got us out there in the Internet and on the uh, Facebook Live and on the Etherways. Uh, we have this treasure, but we're not sharing it with those outside the camp. Jesus said it's like finding a treasure hidden in a field, and instead of sharing it, we buy the field and keep the treasure for ourselves. He said it's like finding a pearl of great price, but instead of sharing the good news about what we found, we buy the field and we keep it to ourselves. Jesus is that treasure. He's the pearl of great price. Are you sharing him or are you keeping him to yourself? I'm preaching a whole lot better than your amen, and I'll tell you that much. Are we sharing the good news that we found? Salvation, healing, prosperity, love, joy, peace, comfort, fellowship, God's word. Are we sharing all these things that we found, this treasure, this pearl of great price that we found? We're not telling people because, uh, about it because if we did, this camp would fill up. And we're like the little four lepers, you know, bless me, we three, us four, and no more. The lepers were so occupied with the good thing they found, they didn't even think about sharing it. And God let them party for a while. He'll let you party for a while. He'll let me party for a while. But then he begins speaking to their hearts just like he does to us. And he's saying, share the good news. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Tell them about the good things you found. Don't keep them to yourself. And they resisted for a while because they were having a good time. But then they realized what we're doing just isn't right. Let's leave the camp. Let's leave the field and go share this treasure. Let's share this pearl of great price that we found. Let's share this good news with all the other people. There's more than enough for us. There's more than enough for everybody. We got more than enough to share. So the four lepers left the camp, and they shared the good news with everyone else. And as a result, just like Elisha said, restoration broke out, revival broke out. The king of Israel had everything brought back to the city from that camp. And in less than 24 hours, the same city that was under siege in severe famine had, just like Elisha prophesied, there was plenty in the city and two gallons of flour and uh, four gallons of barley sold for one piece of silver. Remember the king's right-hand man, the one who doubted God's word, the one who said it couldn't be done, and God didn't even have the ability to do it? Well, the king places him in charge of the food distribution. And so he begins to pass it out in small little portions because that's how he thinks with a small little mind. 
And he said, this is going to be the new norm. You get used to it. No more all you can eat. No more smorgasbords. No more buffets. No more golden corral. This is all you're going to get. But you know the people aren't happy with small portions. After all of this and this thing is over, they're going to want more of God's blessings. And so they run the devil over and they stomped him to death and fulfilled Elisha's prophecy that you'll see it, but you're not going to get to enjoy it. And I hope when the church comes out of this thing that we're not going to settle for what the devil says that we could have or what the devil wants to ration out for us. I pray we stamp him to the ground and we take all that we want. We take everything back that the enemy stole. Now, I'm not talking about stomping people to the ground. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about getting that devil, his neck under our foot where it belongs. And quit being influenced by him. Quit listening to all these doubters and these gainsayers and these ones that are promoting fear and trying to get us into fear. I'm telling you, you can't even turn the news on anymore unless you hear about something that would be fearful. And if you don't know God, it is going to be fearful for you. But it ain't fearful for me. It ain't fearful for a child of God because we know better. Our God is greater. And I'm telling you, when man tells me to do something that God says not to do, I'll believe God. I'll obey God before I obey man. And he may, have, he may be able to arrest me and put me in jail for violating a, a law of the land, but I still have to accept the consequences because it's greater for me to obey God and not man than it would be the other way around. Now, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to cause problems. I'm not trying to cause an uproar or dissension. I love our government. I love our president. I think the government is necessary. You know, God told us, Jesus told us, he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. So we're required to obey the laws of the land. That's Caesar. So if Caesar has a law, we're supposed to obey it. Unless it violates a law of God, then we obey God. But there may be a consequence. And we have to be willing to pay that consequence. But obeying God is far greater than obeying the laws of the land. So we'll obey the laws of the land as long as they don't violate a law of God. And we'll do it for a while. We'll refrain from embracing. We'll refrain from laying hands on the sick. We'll refrain from doing all these things that they can't. They tell us we can't do. But I'm never going to accept it as a new normal. And I pray that no one in the church does. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if I was going to get in trouble today, I'm sure I already am. So we're going to quit here while I'm still ahead, and we're going to uh, receive communion. So if you have your elements, if you have your grape juice and your crackers or your bread, get them ready at this time. And I'm going to go to, the, to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, where Paul was teaching on the Last Supper or communion. And we're going to receive communion together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, there's not too many requirements for communion. I mean, uh, there's only one requirement that we're born again. And uh, that's the only requirement for communion. We need to be born again. We need to be a child of God. 
So if you're born again, then we encourage you to participate with us. If you're not born again, then you're just one prayer away from that happening. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's pray it right now. Let's pray it together. Whether you're born again or not, maybe somebody's in the room with you right now that needs a little encouragement so we can encourage them by praying along with them. Just say this after me. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. I believe in my heart he is Lord. I accept him as my Savior. And I thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. As simple as that. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, then you are qualified to take communion with us this morning. Hallelujah. Get your elements ready. Get your bread or your cracker. I have a little wafer here. It's under this cap. And then under another cap, I got a little grape juice. And it's kind of like a portable communion service. You can take it anywhere. And, you know, we use them when we go to visit the sick or something to have communion with them. But anything will work. You could have, you know, a saltine cracker or a piece of stale bread or some orange juice or any kind of juice. It's not the juice or the cracker. It's what they represent, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. They're just symbols. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Lord, we're doing this in remembrance of you. We remember everything that you suffered in that body. We thank you for the stripes that you bore on your back. We thank you for willingly going to the cross and being nailed to the cross and dying in our place as our substitute for our sins. So we recognize that in the body of Christ this morning. And we are so thankful and so grateful for what you did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a knee. And then Paul said, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, it's a reminder of what he did for us in his body, the shedding of his blood and his death. So we thank you, Lord. We're so grateful for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You said without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Well, we have remission of sin because our Lord, our Savior, shed his blood on Calvary for us in our place. And it was an acceptable sacrifice to you. We're so grateful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, take and drink. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We just received the symbols, the tokens that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we did it in remembrance of him because he told us to do that. And, you know, people think, well, I would never forget God. I would never forget what he did. Well, if that was true, he wouldn't tell us to do it in remembrance of him. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what he did for us in the body and the blood. And it's through communion that we 
are reminded of what he did for us, and hopefully we're grateful for it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to touch each and every one that's out there in the viewing audience this morning, everyone within the sound of my voice. I pray a special blessing upon them, God. I ask you to touch them. I touch their families, Lord. I ask you to bring healing and restoration and peace. And God, that you would restore troubled marriages and restore troubled relationships this morning. God, that you would bless them with protection, that everywhere they go, Lord, you'd give your angels charge concerning them and that they would watch over them and keep them in all the ways that they go, Lord. I thank you that they're protected from this virus in the name of Jesus. I thank you that, according to Psalms 96 and 10, no evil will befall them, neither shall any plague come nigh their dwelling. And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, we thank you for being with us this morning. Don't forget, Wednesday, 6 o'clock p.m., I'll come to you again from my home in Taylorsville uh, for a Bible study. We love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Be careful and be safe. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you and remember Jesus is Lord.